You're now listening to the Bar Stars Podcast, where we explore health, longevity, and performance. I'm your host, Edward Checo, and we'll be diving deeper into topics I've been studying for the last 10 years as a catastatics expert. Today, our guest is Simon Atta, more famously known as Simonster. He started gymnastics at a young age where he became passionate on mastering his body. From gymnastics, he went on to break dancing, calisthenics, martial arts, and circus training. You've probably seen his viral YouTube video where he went knocking out planche push-ups and one-arm handstands to a sick beat. Today, we talk about what his training looks like, what's his beef with Ido Portel, and some of the advice to step up your training. All right, enjoy. What's up, what's up, everyone? It's Ed here from Bar Stars, and today I'm here with Simon Atta, also known as Simonster. How's everything? I'm good, man. How are you? Let's start off with your, st- with your stats. Uh, what's your height and weight? Oh, this is the, the question I get asked all the time. So I'm um, 179 centimeters, which I think is like 5'10 and a half or just under 5'11. And um, I'm about 77 kilos. I don't know what that is in pounds. It's like 170, 175, I think. Yeah. Oh, you're, you're tall for, for, for yeah. body weight. <laughs> Usually when people like you, you see people do like amazing planches and stuff, they're a bit on the shorter end. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a lot of a lot of people say that when they meet me, they say that yeah, you're taller than I expected. Have you felt that yourself personally that a lot of movements were harder because you're taller? Um, it's hard to say because I've never been. <laughs> true. You know, I don't really have much else to compare it to other than <laughs> true, the height true. that I've been. Um, but yeah, I'm sh- I'm sure a lot of things would be easier if if I was shorter. Um, then again, I'm not exceptionally tall by any means. I'm under six foot. Um, so. Yeah, well, I, think I think your I, reference. I've, I've got, I think your reference point would be as a teenager because you've been training since you were young, correct? Yeah, I didn't do so much calisthenics when I was young. So um, when I was when I was shorter, I mostly did break dancing. Um, as I got a little bit older, that's when I started to do more calisthenics kind of stuff. So I was never really chasing the the strength skills when I was younger. What got you into calisthenics? So break dancing's always been my passion. I've been doing that since I was about eleven years old, and I always really liked power moves. Um, so you know, spinning the spectacular kind of movements, head spin, air flares, those sorts of things. And I did a little bit, little bit of gymnastics when I was really young. And I noticed that the body weight strength training or the calisthenics that they implemented into gymnastics to help their skills was really beneficial. So when I started trying to get some of the more advanced moves like um, flare to 90 or flare to handstand, I always thought, damn, if I was just a little bit stronger, I'd, I could get this, you know, if, if my technique is off by 10% and I had reserves in strength, I could muscle my way through it. Um, so I started implementing more and more calisthenics into my training um, to help my breakdancing. And as I got older, I just enjoyed that more. As my joints hurt with power moves, I sort of started focusing more and more on calisthenics. So that's where, that's where calisthenics was introduced to me, um, I guess, initially with gymnastics. And um, my love for it just grew as I got older. What does your training look like from day to day? Uh, it changes depending on um, my goals at the time and my age and injuries. Um, at the moment, I do a little bit of um, usually a little bit of skill work. So, you know, things like hand balancing, hand hops, I might do that for 30 minutes most days. And then I usually do an hour to two of calisthenics training uh, most days of the week, probably five days a week. So generally, I do a push-pull split. I find that's a really good way to get um, – to train really hard, get enough volume, and still allow each muscle group to recover adequately. 
So say Monday, I might do a pushing session, planche and handstand push-ups. Tuesday, I might do pulling, front lever and uh, chin-ups and repeat that. Throw in legs once or twice a week when gyms are open. But uh, yeah, our gyms are closed right now. So I haven't, <laughs> I haven't trained legs for a while. You haven't been doing like uh, pistols and stuff at home? Uh, I find it quite difficult to get a, a decent workout with body weight using your legs. So I can do you know, 20 pistols without getting too fatigued. And I don't really like training in that endurance range. I'd rather get under a bar and do weighted squats or, you know, weighted lunges, that sort of thing to train legs. Um, so I've done a little bit to just try and maintain some strength in my legs, but um, yeah, definitely not the same sort of intensity or volume that I'm, I'm used to. Do you train seven days a week? Sometimes I train seven days a week, but generally I don't. Generally I'll have a rest day, whether that's planned or incidental. So, um, you know, if life gets in the way and I, I'm just really busy one day, I won't train. Um, or if I schedule that because I'm quite sore. Um, but most of my training life, I haven't trained seven days a week, probably five to six at most. And the session's usually an hour to two? Yeah, session's usually an hour to do. I find, um, I find if I'm training in excess of two hours, I have to really be having a good day where I've got a lot of energy. If not, I find the intensity just falls off and the the work that I'm doing in the beyond of the second hour um, is just not really beneficial. I'm just kind of going through the motions for no for no real reason. Um, so I think the return on investment after that second hour is quite diminished. I actually met some like really high level hand balancers that worked at the circus and they said they were trained for like eight hours just balancing. And I was like, holy yeah. shit, that's insane. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I think that works for certain things, um, and I think the hand balancing is one of those things that um, is beneficial to train for a lot of hours, especially as a really advanced athlete. And the reason for that is hand balancing isn't a very physically demanding um, exercise when you compare that to something like calisthenics. So, for example, if you train three hours of hand balancing, by the third hour you might be a little bit fatigued, you might not be as fresh as you were in the first hour but you can still maintain a high quality of work. You can still balance on one hand. You can still do different shapes if you're a high level hand balancer. Whereas if you get um, a calisthenics athlete and you have them training planche for three hours, you know, your first set of planche is good. Your second set of planche is good. Maybe your first 10 sets of planche are really good. That will take you say 30 minutes. After that point, when you've, moved, you've done five sets to close to failure of planche pushups, five sets close to failure of planche holds, You've done five sets close to failure of handstand push-ups. After that point, you know, you're an hour, you're not even an hour in, and you are not holding a planche anywhere near the same level that you were at the beginning of your session. So it really depends on whether you're training skills or strength and how physically demanding those skills are. Um, I found with the the things that I really like to pursue, they were very physically taxing. And after an hour to two hours, the the intensity and the quality of work is just not there due to fatigue. So, for example, with power moves, I could probably train head spins for three hours, no problem. Um, if I'm trying to train things like air flares or one-hand air flares, I've got about an hour max of good quality practice before it deteriorates. Have you ever uh, tried uh, dual sessions in a day, maybe like an hour in the morning and an hour at night? Yeah, I love that. I think that's awesome. Um, it's just I find that really hard to do um, due to other life commitments. So, you know, if I'm working – um, I got to get up and be at work at 8, 8 a.m. It's really hard to get a session in before that, or at least a productive session in before that. 
Um, but yeah, when I have free time, when I'm, when I'm on holidays, yeah, I love that. I think it's a really good way to train. It's a really good way to get in more volume of practice, which is often really productive. Would you recommend that to someone that has like an ideal schedule? Let's say someone retired young or a teenager, maybe. Yeah. Hell yeah. Um, it, but once again, that comes with the caveat of building towards that. So I think if, if you, if your body's not accustomed to it, training is only as effective as what you can recover from. So if you're, if you can recover well from your training, fantastic. Keep, keep increasing the training as long as you're recovering from it. If you can't recover from it, excess training is not going to be beneficial. It's going to be detrimental. So if you're quite new to training, you're a beginner, um, doing dual sessions a day is probably not that beneficial. You'll probably make really good progress from training once a day um, or maybe doing two short sessions a day um, just because you your body really needs to adapt to to doing more volume before you can recover from it. If you're recovering well, yeah, two sessions a day is, is awesome. You would say they should aim for maximum recoverable volume. Yeah, exactly. Uh, basically, I, I think more training is always beneficial with as long as you can recover from it and the quality of your training is upheld. So that goes for skill and strength training. If you find your training skills and an hour into your skill training, it's just sloppy. You're no longer training with good technique. You can't maintain good technique. You're just performing with bad technique. You're, you might be reinforcing bad habits. That training that you're doing in the fatigued state is not going to be beneficial and it could actually be detrimental because you could be reinforcing these bad habits. Whereas if you can maintain a high quality of, of practice, you're training with good technique, it's still optimal. Doing more of that is going um, gonna to lead to more progress. Me personally, the best uh, progress I've ever done on the handstand, the front lever, and the planche has always been with dual sessions, like a one yeah. good hour conditioning in the, in the morning, and then like I'll add another 15 minutes later that day. Yeah, that, yeah me too. I've always, yeah, me too, yeah. The the times I've made the most progress in my life have been times where I've been on like school break um, or university break and I could really dedicate more time to training. And then it was just about programming that training um, intelligently so I could recover from it. Did you have programming mistakes on the way? Definitely. What are, <laughs> what are, what is, what are some? I thought when I was younger, I used to just kill myself at the park. Like yeah, four that's hours of just... Yeah, that's what I've, I've done as well. And it's just, I've just, as I got older, I learned that's not beneficial. So I might... Like there's been times where I've done like 20 sets of, um, you know, I'd do 20 sets of front levers. And after the, probably the 10th set, it probably did not help me at all or hindered progress. Um, there's been times where I just train um, the same muscle group back to back, day after day after day into soreness. Once again, that probably wasn't the most intelligent way to train. Um, ran into lots of, lots of issues with overtraining. So you know, you get really motivated. You see something that that motivates you. You go, "Damn, I really want to get, I really want to get better at head spins." And you train head spins every day for a month, and in a month, you've got all sorts of injuries and aches. <laughs> um, same thing with planche. Same thing with handstands. So those are the sort of issues that I run into along the way um, that I've learned more about as I got older. Do you think it varies from person to person? Because I know me personally, when I was younger, I was training full body for a long time, and then if you look like a uh... Like every day, and then if you look yeah. at CrossFit, their programming is pretty much full body. It's not. It's not a body part split. And I interviewed yeah. two interviews ago, maybe Marcus Bondi, and I think he works yeah. out every single day, the same similar yeah. workout. So, yeah, yeah. So a few things there. Um, there's definitely individual variants. So 
there's a high level of individual variance between between people. What's good for one person isn't necessarily good for another person. Um, in addition to that, there's some good underlying principles that can be followed to intelligently program a number of different ways. So the way I love to, to program or the way I love to train is generally with a push-pull split where I'll go pushing one day, pulling the next day, and repeat that process, throwing in legs once or twice a week. Um, you can train full body every day. That's that's still a great way to train. A lot of a lot of bodybuilders do a full body every day kind of program. The the issue there is that you can't do as much volume per session per muscle group. So um, on a pushing day, you might do say eight sets of pushing or twelve sets of pushing, up to twenty sets of pushing, and you can recover from that before your next day of training. If you did twenty sets of everything for full body. Firstly, your workout would just take way too long. You can't, you can't, you know, take four hours to train your whole body at that kind of volume. And additionally, you can't recover from that for the next day. But over the course of a week, you might be getting the same sort of volume and intensity as when you did a, a push-pull split. So yeah, lots of, lots of intelligent ways to program. Um, you, you might do an upper, upper body, lower body split. There's another example of, of something you could do. Um, as long as you're you're recovering well, your intensity and your volume is, is similar. There's many similar ways to make the same same amount of progress. Volume is of a significant factor when you're gaining muscle mass. Would you say it's the same for yeah. learning a, a skill? Yeah, I would. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a there's a sweet spot for for everything. Um, and it's often hard to know what that sweet spot is. So volume, more volume is beneficial to a point. And then excess volume in um, on top of that is not beneficial it won't really add much you'll get diminishing returns and then at some point it will probably be detrimental so at some point um it, it's probably going to have deleterious effects on your on your progress i think that's the same with skills um once again high level of individual variance high level of variance between skills it might be different between upper body lower body it's it's different between different types of skills depending on how physically taxing they are so it's kind of hard to know exactly what the the sweet spot is for you some key principles I like to, to go by uh, with skill training, when your training um, technique deteriorates, you're no longer training with the same quality as you were doing before. That's when it's a good time to take a rest and either come back to that later in the day if you, if you can or rest until a subsequent, um, a subsequent session on another day. Any tips for the yeah. one-arm handstand? You have a, 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 a very strong one. I, I don't actually have a very strong one-arm handstand, I would say. So my... My, um, I can balance on one hand, um, but I'm certainly not a hand balancer. I'm, I kind of, I'm in a different, um, a different field with break dancing. So I, I really like hopping on one hand, um, doing, you know, thread hops, hopping on one elbow. I can balance on one hand, but I'm not particularly, particularly good at that. Um, when it comes to training either of those skills, though, hand balancing to balance on one hand or to hop on one hand, um, I think time on your hands is just really important. The more time you can spend on your hands, uh, the better. I think a lot of people worry um, too much about having optimal technique and just don't actually spend much time on the hands. But just consistent hard work over a long period of time, having patience is, is really important. Yeah, if you, if, you see anyone, if you see anyone who can balance on, on one hand, they've put in significant work. What do you say this goes against the, the previous rule you said where you should stop once you're breaking form? What do you say for the handstand you keep going even if no. it forms a little off? No, I think I think that goes to uh, to handstands as well. I think with hand balancing, you can maintain form for a long time. 
So if you've ever pr just practiced handstands, not handstand push-ups, not a strength-related um, handstand skill, but just purely balancing on your hands, that requires a relatively low level of strength. You're not really you're not fatigued after ten sets of handstands the same way that you are after ten sets of handstand push-ups. So you might be able to train handstands with good technique for an hour, um, and if that's the case, then do an hour. If you're getting into two, three, four hours with great technique, you're still maintaining a good quality of practice, go for it. And that's what you see with advanced hand balances. They've spent so long on their hands, they're not fatiguing into that third or fourth hour. Once again, take sufficient rest between sets that you're fresh at the next, um, the next set that you do so that you can maintain a high quality of practice. So instead of doing a minute of a handstand, training close to failure, you fatigue, you fall down, take 10 seconds rest, you kick up, you're, you're not going to get close to a minute on that next set. A better approach for, for skill training is to train far from failure and focus on the, the technique. So you kick up, you, you might be able to do a minute, that's your capacity for endurance. Kick up, balance for 30 seconds, focusing on, on good alignment, good technique, good balance, come down, rest a minute, repeat that process. Um, that will give you a, a much better um, result in terms of balance and skill progress. When it comes to skills, what would you say would be your ratio from uh, static progressions towards uh, dynamic progressions? So, for example, the pseudo push-up compared to tuck push-up, tuck planche, just holding it. Okay, yeah. In my person, in my personal training, I probably do um, I probably do about three dynamic exercises to every static exercise. Yeah. yeah. So I generally start. I generally start with the statics. So take a planche session, for example. I might start with static planche holds, um, whatever intensity that is, tuck, straddle, fall. Um, so you might do four or five sets of that. And after that, they tend to be dynamic exercises. So handstand to planche, planche push-ups, mechanical advantage planche push-ups, um, and then accessory work. Do you have any specific conditioning for your wrist? No, I don't, other than my quite basic warm-up. So I, I find with wrist health, um, really important things to do are to listen to your body and avoid pain. If things start hurting, that's not a good thing. Stay away from, um, stay away from pain. So if you start getting sore 30 minutes into your workout, don't, don't push into that. That's a, a good way to get injured. Um, if things hurt, that's generally your body telling you to back off. My wrist conditioning um, or my, my philosophy on preventing wrist injury or conditioning your wrist is just to take a gradual progressive approach and allow your body to adapt to the stimulus that you're putting through it. So I think a, a, a common mistake a lot of people make with their wrists is you get really motivated. You take a workshop on a weekend for hand balancing and you go from doing nothing on your hands to doing two hours every day on your hands. And your body is just not used to that. You, you get two weeks in and your wrists are in agony. You've got an overuse injury because your wrists just weren't acclimated to that load through them or your tendons or whatever structure. So uh, a better way to do that is to gradually progress. If things are, are pain-free, then you can increase the volume, increase the intensity. So you might start with 10, 15 minutes a day. That's going or 10, minute, 10 or 15 minutes every second day. That's going well. Increase that to 20 minutes. Increase that to 30 minutes. That's going well. You might increase that to every day. Do you follow a special diet? No, I don't. Not at all. Any rules at all? No rules with my diet. <laughs> generally, I eat, generally I eat pretty healthy, but I don't have a strict diet by by any means. No, I try to eat a lot of pro. I try to eat a lot of protein. I try to minimize processed foods, but I I'm very happy to snack on some chocolate or <laughs> nice. you know eat some junk food. 
you know how many calories you eat in a day at all? I would have, well, uh, I'm, I'm not sure. I'd be taking a guess saying about, I don't know, 2,000 or 3,000, but that varies a lot as well. Some days I might eat 1,000, some days I might eat 4,000. So it's, um, it's quite sporadic. I don't have a very consistent eating routine. You take any supplements? I take uh, creatine. Does it? Yeah, I got do you, some. Do you feel like the bloat from it? Um, I haven't felt, I haven't felt a, a very big bloat. I definitely think sometimes I, I do feel a bit heavy when I've had that a lot. I'm pretty bad at um at staying consistent with it. So you know, I might, <laughs> I, I just take these little creatine sugar tablets that have a gram of creatine and a couple of grams of sugar in them. So some days I might take three grams, some days I might take two grams. I don't have like a, a strict schedule with that either. Um, when I am consistent, I do feel a little bit heavier. Do you feel like, do you feel a difference in yourself? Uh, I think I can get a few more reps. Um, so I do feel like I, I have a little bit more endurance there. When it comes to body weight, it is a bit challenging because sometimes I might, um, I might take a lot of creatine and I feel quite strong with regards to lifting external weight. So for example, I might get under a squat bar and get a few more reps than usual, but my handstand push-up has gone down a rep or two. And that might be, I'm just holding a lot more water and I'm heavier. I'm lifting a couple of extra pounds or kilograms um, of my own body weight. So I find, um, I find when it comes to training with external weights, I notice a really positive effect. When it comes to training with body weight, I don't notice too much of a difference. Um, but there's plenty of evidence to suggest that the creatine is beneficial for improving hypertrophy, improving strength, improving strength endurance. So that's why I'm, I'm happy to continue with that. Yeah, the creatine has a lot of evidence behind it. There, there's a significant yeah. portion of people that are non-responders, though. Have you heard about that? Yeah. Yeah, I have heard about that. Um, yeah, well, to, to me, the, um, the taking a, a couple of delicious tablets of sugary creatine is, is, not really, um, is not really a cost to me. You know, it's not, <laughs> it's not there's, no, um, there's no downside to that. It's just... So if I'm a non-responder, um, then I'm a non-responder and I'm not too upset that I've taken some sugary tablets. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it would be hard. It's very hard for me to say. Um, I, I don't notice. The effect is modest anyway. Um, I've never, you know, tested a b before and after um, with creatine and without creatine personally. So I couldn't tell you if there's a huge effect, but uh, my intuition is that there is a... a a very modest um, positive effect from taking it so i followed you on facebook for a couple years and i've seen you post a, every now and then it'll be a, a post about Edo portel oh yeah years back was it yeah it yeah i don't think I, yeah and uh a lot of the posts seem like uh taunting him probably would you say that's accurate yeah i would say that's accurate yeah well, i don't so i don't think i've i don't think i've posted anything about Edo portal in a few years um, I think a few years ago, um, there, he, he made a lot of noises that I didn't quite agree with. So I would often push back against those. Um, I did it in a very mocking manner, which I probably shouldn't have, but <laughs> it, was, it was super but, yeah, entertaining I, from my end. Yeah. I, um, yeah. Wait, how I would you describe he, Ido Porto in case people don't know? Uh, I know he did a lot of famous work with a London real guy and, uh, Conor McGregor for his fight. Yeah. So um, he's very big in the world of movement culture, however you wanted to find that. Um, yeah, I, 
I don't really know what his training philosophy is. If I'm honest, I don't think it's um I just I just don't fully understand what his training is all about. I think a lot of the things that he says sound very profound, but when I pick them apart, I don't think there's much um much substance behind them. <laughs> Um, so I think a lot of, a lot of his ideas are really good. Um, and I think a lot of his training methods are really good, but there's some things that I don't quite agree with. And there's some things that I just felt that he said that seemed quite, uh, arrogant, rude, especially when it comes to things like, um, you know, I don't train vegans, they're too weak or, um, that sort of thing. Yeah. You're not a big fan of the lizard claws, the lizard crawls where he's like, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, if you want to do lizard crawls, that's absolutely fine. They're they're cool. Do, go for it. Um, I don't see a purpose in that in my my own training. I don't see a benefit of doing that sort of that sort of thing. It's not going to help me get to my goals. How would you suggest someone who start who wants to start training and bodyweight exercises, calisthenics? Um, I think if you have access to a calisthenics gym, I think there are a lot of really good calisthenics gyms in the world. So if you've got access to that, great. If you've got access to a personal trainer who has experience in cal with calisthenics, fantastic. If you don't, I think YouTube is a really good resource. There's a lot of um, beginner calisthenics routines on YouTube. There's a lot of people making really good educational content. Um, I think if you just get on YouTube and follow follow that, it can it can be yeah really useful. The issue with that is there's so much out there. It can you can often. Um, it can often be a little bit overwhelming knowing who to follow, and there's a bit of conflicting information. As a beginner, doing just about any form of um, any form of training with calisthenics, it's going to be beneficial. Even if it's just push-ups or pull-ups. Yeah, even just push-ups or pull-ups. Even if you can't do a, a push-up or pull-up, getting under a um, you know using doing incline push-ups or push-ups on your knees—that's a great way to build capacity. You'll get pretty strong pretty quick as a beginner. Um, as you get more advanced, it's much more difficult to make progress. Same thing with uh, chin-ups. If you're doing just negatives, you're you're stepping to the top of a chin up and just lowering down in a slow and controlled manner, or you're doing chin ups with a assistance from a band. That's fantastic. You'll make you'll make a lot of progress with that. What are some things you wish you knew when you were first started training? I think I wish I I wish I just had a little bit more direction on the type of skills that I wanted to pursue. So when I started training, th there were so many skills that I wanted to achieve. Um, but, and I would initially try to work on all of those at once. So I would think I want to be able to do planche pushups. I want to be able to do head spins. I want to be able to jump really high. I want to be able to balance on one hand and trying to train all of those at once is pretty ineffective. I wish I knew that you can sort of train towards many goals, but you can't, can't train towards many goals that effectively at once. You really need to periodize your training and tick things off as you go and maintain that. So I wish I knew that you'd make a lot of, a lot more progress just training a couple of skills at, at a time, you know, picking one or two skills to, to pursue and um, master those and then move on. Let's say you, uh, you, you did that with, let's say, six skills. Did you feel like you did two, then you do the next two, the next two? Do you feel like by the time you're at numbers uh, five and six that you've fallen off on number one or two? One, two. No, not at all. So I think that's a possibility. You can fall off on one or two, but it takes a lot less energy to maintain a skill than it does to progress with a skill. So I think if you if you achieve a skill, 
you can just put that in the maintenance bin and give that just enough attention to maintain it once you've got it to the level that you want it. A lot, it the good thing about calisthenics is a lot of the skills that you're going to train will supplement other skills. For example, if you're really good at planche, that's going to go a long way in terms of handstand push-ups, 90-degree push-ups, handstand to planche. Um, it's a very similar movement. They use similar muscle groups. The strength is very transferable. So if you get a 10-second planche and you're happy with that, and then the next thing you want to ch achieve is handstand push-ups, you might still make progress not even touching your planche just because you're working similar muscle groups. If you find that you are deteriorating with your planche ability, you could, you might just throw one or two planche sets in a week. You know, max planche hold, max 10-second planche hold once a week might be enough to maintain it. Um, that's not going to take away from much of your other training. So what I like to do is put things in the maintenance box and just give them just enough attention to keep those skills at, at the level that you want them. When you say one or two planche trainings a week, do you mean like a, a whole workout session or just going no, into a movement? I, I, no, I, I literally mean one or two planche sets a week. So if you, I mean, you're not going to make good progress on your planche doing that, but if that block, you're you've got the planche to the level that you're happy with and you want to pursue handstand push-ups now, even just doing one or two sets of, of planche a week might be enough to maintain that skill. If it's not two to three sets of planche holds a week, two to three sub-maximal planche holds where you where you train, um, you do your max 10-second planche for eight seconds for three sets, that might be enough to, to hold on to it when you're training um, other pushing skills such as handstand push-ups alongside that. I've seen a recent interview. You said you were working on your one-arm pull-up and front lever. How's, how's that going? That's going pretty well. I've got a bit of a shoulder injury right now, so I haven't been doing too much um, too much pull-up work. Um, my front lever is pretty good. I'm I'm just trying to improve that. Been training a lot of lever pulls, a lot of static holds, um, lever raises, that sort of thing. And so you still throw in the planches where you, you do them two or three times a week? Yeah. So at the moment, I've, once again, I've got this shoulder injury, so I haven't actually done planche for quite a while. It kind of, kind of aggravates that a little bit. So that's kind of that's kind of taken a taken a step back. Is it workout related your injury? Uh, it is. It's definitely workout related, but there's no acute incident. I think this is just a gradual, progressive injury that's happened over years. Did you just wake up one day and it felt like a lot of pain? No. So I had um I had a little bit of pain in my right shoulder maybe three years ago. I got an MRI. It showed a very very small rotator cuff tear, along with some other things um, like labral tear. Um, I think that was just incidental. That's just something that if you know you could scan my good shoulder or your shoulder that feels fine right now, and it might show that. And then that settled down really well. So the past three years, I've been able to train at a really high level. I could you know, hop on one hand, do anything I wanted pain-free. And then a few months ago, I started just getting a slight pain in my, in my shoulder. Um, just a little bit of an annoying pain occasionally at the bottom of a planche push-up or certain positions with my shoulder. And that just gradually got a little bit worse over the, over the following months. Um, got a second MRI and it showed just a slight progression of that rotator cuff tear. I think it's just, uh, getting older, doing a lot of, a lot of work with your arm kind of thing. You're a physical therapist, right? Yeah, correct. Yeah. Physiotherapist is what we call it in uh, Australia and the UK and Canada. Oh, got it. Yeah. So you, but yeah, like, you plan on training same, yourself? Same. Um, yeah, as best I can. What are some of the Absolutely. things you're going to use to address it? 
Mostly just rest and see if it settles down. So see if it settles down on its own. If it doesn't, you can get um, the certain injections you can get. So you can get um, platelet-rich plasma. Whether or not that's effective is is uh, questionable. Um, if it gets much worse, you could get a rotator cuff repair, like a surgical repair. I'd prefer not to, but if it comes to that and I got to do it, I got to do it. Yeah, a lot of people uh, stay away from the surgery. I mean, I, I think I would. Yeah, too, that, yeah. No, no one wants to get cut open if you, you know, stuck in a sling for six six to eight weeks and then have restrictions on what you can do with your arm for six months. Um, so if you can avoid it, that's always good. But some some people can't. There's a lot of athletes who who end up getting surgical repairs. I also had I also heard that once you get the surgery, the chance of it reopening is still pretty significant. Yeah, I, I imagine. I imagine so. I'm not too sure on the evidence with that. Um, I think if you're quite young, young, fit, healthy, um, you've got good good tissue that they can repair, um, you can have a pretty good career after a, after a surgical repair. That's something you've got to speak to your surgeon about. If you've got, you know, deteriorated... Um, weak tissue that they're trying to repair. Like you're trying to stick two bits of damaged um, damaged T-shirt back together. It's much more likely to rip again. If you had to pick only four exercises you could do, what would they be? Forever? Yeah. Planche, handstand push-up, lever raises, squats. Planche would be static or push-ups? Planche push-ups. It's a sick combo. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I think uh, with planche push-ups, you can um, you could argue that you're using tempos to get a little bit of static, static planche in there. You know, two yeah. second holds at the top, get a little bit. <laughs> Do you feel like there's a there's there's obviously some correlation between the full planche and planche push-ups, but do you feel like definitely like it's kind of like a Venn diagram? So some it shares some parts, but other parts it doesn't. So I, I mentioned that because yeah, I've seen so, people that could do really nice static planche push-ups and they've come to me and go, yo, how, I mean, not planche push-ups, uh, hold, hold the full planche. And they would ask me like, yo, how yeah. do you do planche push-ups? And it's kind of like, whoa, like really? Yeah. All right. So let's, let's talk about this for a little while. So planche and planche push-ups share a very small portion of the planche, which is the top portion of, which is just the very top of the planche. Generally, generally I find people are better at, planche push-ups than they are at planche i think you'll see this a lot with beginners trying to learn the planche people can hold a straddle planche with bent arms or a straddle bent arm planche at the bottom but can't hold a straddle planche at the top they might only be able to hold a tuck at the top generally you're stronger at the bottom of planche push-up than at the top that's true for most people that's the natural strength curve of the exercise so um and if you if you're if someone's listening to this, you can just try this at home. Just see what you can hold for your planche at the top. Let's say that's a – see what intensity you can do at the top. It might be a tuck planche. might be a straddle planche. See what intensity you can do at the bottom. If you can hold a full planche, just see how long you can hold a full planche versus a bent-up planche. Um, and I think most people will find you're much stronger at the bottom. As you push up, as you get higher in your planche towards the top, the exercise gets progressively harder. This is much like a, um, a squat but with an inverse relationship. So a squat's really easy at the top. A squat is much harder at the bottom. And when people fail on a squat, they generally fail at the bottom of a squat. That's the natural strength curve of the exercise. You could court a squat a lot more weight than you can do a full squat with. And that's just a, a, a natural, natural inherent thing with the exercise. That being said, 
if you practice something, you get good at what you practice. So if you've just practiced straight arm planche, you'll get really good at straight arm planche. If you just practice bent arm planche, you get really good at bent arm planche. You don't necessarily get a crossover between the, the two. They will complement each other because they use similar muscle groups, but they're not, the, they're not the same exercise. You'll get good at what you practice. So even if you can't hold a full planche at the top, the reason some people can do planche push-ups without being able to hold a full planche is because you can generate a lot of force at the bottom you might be able to generate enough force that you can get your arms straight. You can't actually hold the position before falling back down. And you can do that for multiple reps. The other, the other thing is true. If you can hold a full planche and you've never done planche push-ups in your life, you might just not have enough strength in that bent arm position and build some, need to build some strength there to be able to push up. Generally, people are better at bent arm planche. There are some exceptions to that if you've never practiced the bent arm planche though. A good way that you can um, manipulate the exercise to account for that strength curve of the exercise is to do a mechanical advantage planche push-up. So what you can do there is start, let's say you can do a tuck planche at the top and a straddle planche at the bottom, but you can't do straddle planche push-ups. What you can do is start in a tuck at the top and then extend the legs as you lower to the bottom to land in a straddle planche at the bottom before pushing back to a tuck planche at the top. What that's going to do is lengthen the lever as you descend so the intensity of the exercise is going to get harder towards the bottom where you're stronger and get easier towards the top where you're weaker. This will build more strength at the bottom where you're stronger. And this might speed your journey towards doing full planche push-ups because you might one day get to a point where you can hold a straddle planche at the, at the top. You can hold a full planche at the bottom. You can't hold a full planche at the top, but you can still do full planche push-ups. And the reason is you can generate enough force at the bottom to get to the top before falling back down, you're just unable to hold the top position. That was very well said. Makes sense? Yeah, yeah, of course. Cool. What are some uh, common fitness myths that you hear a lot? I, one, one thing I often hear different iterations of is you want to get good at bench press, you need to do this exercise. Or you want to get, do you want to double your squat, you need to do this exercise. And generally that just doesn't, it's just not true. The best way to get good at something is to do that do that exercise. You can definitely supplement it with other things, but the best way to improve your bench press is to do bench press. The best way to improve your squat is to do squats. And I think that that holds true for a, a lot of things. Yeah, I, I agree. Did, 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 did any come to your mind? Any fitness myths you hear a lot? Well, I'm biased because I've, I've debunked all the ones I've heard. So like, well, I'm, I'm, I, I would be thinking yeah, about older I just want to hear some. You don't um, have to debunk them. Just, just, just uh, at, list some. I was at the <laughs> park, and then this happens so much. So sometimes I get recognized from YouTube, and I'm super appreciative. Yep. But, you know, I'm here to work out. It's the local park. And then some guy is telling me he yep. starts, like, this long conversation, and he's telling me how he does a kind of like windmills where you're standing up, and then you touch your toes. And he goes, yeah, yep. it's going to burn all my belly fat. And I was like, oh, there's so many things wrong with this sentence. But at the same time, I really just want to work out. So I just kind of, like, was like, yeah, bro. Just go, yeah, 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 you see it. Yeah, it depends what kind of mood I'm in. If yeah. I'm really into the workouts, just like I can't, I can't take the time yeah. now to give you a speech, you know, especially a speech that you could feel like you can get pushback on. And it's like, damn, I have to Google articles at the park and stuff. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> have you competed in breakdancing? Yeah, I have. Um, not for, I probably haven't for over 10 years, but I used to compete from like 14 to 18 a lot. Uh, basically, any of the competitions I could do in in Australia, I would I would do. How how was your uh, competing career? How would you say? Yeah, it was pretty good. 
Yeah, it was pretty good. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, it was quite competitive. Won a, won a lot of battles here. Um, yeah, I kind of fell off that. I didn't, I didn't really like competing that much. I feel there's a lot of politics in, in breakdancing or b-boying. Um, I just wanted to do do my thing, you know? People are like, why don't, why don't you compete? I, I just want to chase these moves. That's what I find enjoyable. Did you do I moves outside of the power moves? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you if you go on YouTube, there's a few videos you'll see me. I did I did everything. I did a lot of footwork. I did a lot of um, I did a lot of top rocking, a lot of footwork. Did a lot of freezes and tricks. But my main focus was always tricks and power. I wanted to do the spectacular things. I wanted to do the things that look impossible. Um, I wanted to hop on one hand, spin on my head. Those were the skills I I enjoyed doing and that I pursued. But yeah, I, I did everything. Got it. Let us know about your workout program. I've seen I've seen it on uh, Facebook. Oh yeah, so the so if you want um if you want to find my are you talking about the ads you've seen on Facebook? Yeah, no, very well, <laughs> right, very so, very beautifully yeah, yeah, well, done. Well, yeah, well, I didn't make those ads, so I can't take any any credit for that. But I'll talk a little bit about that, and then I'll talk about my um my other programs. So, um, I wrote um some programs for this app called the Fit App. Um, they're calisthenics programs that are just upper body focused. Um, it's to build a general general balanced upper body strength uh level one is for those who can't yet do a, a pull up or a dip can't yet do a body weight pull up or dip so that focuses a lot around building strength with um assisted exercises such as resistance band assisted pull-ups and dips you need some equipment like a pull-up bar um, or rings to do dips on and a resistance band level two is a little bit more challenging that's for those people who can do a few pull-ups can do a few dips but can't um are looking where to move to next they want to get into things like Handstand push-ups get into things like front and back lever, planche, but don't know where to, to go with that. Um, so that's to build capacity, improve your chin-up and, and dip ability, but also get an introduction to some skills like like the planche, like the, the lever, with the beginner, beginner progressions like tuck lever, tuck planche. Level three is more advanced. That's building strength for handstand push-ups, one-arm chin-up, planche push-ups. Um, before you do that, you should be able to do at least you know, 15 or so chin-ups and be able to hold it at least a tuck planche or a, um, or a tuck lever. So those are just general, general upper body strengthening exercises. Then I've got some things on my website, so monsterstrength.com. Those are more skill specific. Uh, they go into individual skills in a much more comprehensive manner. So handstand, planche, flag, those sorts of things. Awesome. Perfect. Same. What's the website again? Uh, simonsterstrength.com perfect thank you for for giving some time today appreciate it awesome thanks for having me if you guys want to learn more about kaisai's training i advise you guys check out barstars btx it's an app on your phone also a web design and also printable pdfs it gives you a full 12-week program of calisthenics it teaches you from a beginner progressions all the way to the advanced with basic conditioning as well as introductory skills such as the planche and the front lever You'll be able to learn these step-by-step while conditioning your body and turning yourself into an all-around badass. Check it out, barstarsbtx.com.